Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, Roby Kotkamp is behind the mic interviewing a longtime listener. Oh, wait, no. Longtime guest? No. Kyle, what are you? I'm just one of the guests here that uh, talks <laughs> quite a bit, one of the hosts. That's right. I know. I'm just I'm just messing with you in the audience. You know Kyle. You know Kyle's voice. Roby, what is going on, my man? Hey, good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. You're, you're taking I think this is the first time that you're going to be running the interview, right? I think that may be true. I might have done one. Uh, boy, short memory. It's the first time Roby and I have done one together, though. Yeah. So, oh, this is going to be Roby good. Roby and I work really closely on a team, so I'm excited to be doing this podcast with him. Yeah, absolutely. Roby, what are you talking about today? Yeah, we're excited to have the discussion today. We're going to be talking about, uh, I think, an underutilized section of, of the IRS code, section 1202. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of opportunities here that we think clients probably miss in a lot of cases. So we're, uh, we're pretty excited to spend a few minutes talking about that today. All right. Well, I'm ready to learn along with the audience. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, good morning, Kyle. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you today in beautiful, sunny San Diego. Yes. <laughs> Great to have you, Roby. Yeah. Welcome to town. Yeah, thanks. So, hey, um, we're going to talk about Section 1202 today, which is around qualified small business stock, an opportunity primarily for C corporations. And there's lots of great opportunities here. Before we jump into it, we probably should just introduce ourselves for anybody in the audience that doesn't know us. So you want to give us 20 seconds about Kyle, kind of education and all that? Well, you guys can listen to the first, first podcast if you want to know about me, but uh, Kyle Malmstrom, Managing Director and Partner here at Centura Wealth Advisory. Yeah. And uh, Roby Kotkamp here, also partner at Centura and uh, education background, spent uh, my undergrad at Purdue, graduate degree at Northwestern, been doing wealth management for lots of years now and uh, really excited to talk about today's topic. So let's jump into this thing. A lot to cover in a short time. So Section 1202, Qualified Small Business Stock, probably good just to give us the 30,000 foot view of this. Like who's the audience for this? Why are we talking to them today? Sure. So Section 1202 was put in place back in 1993 and it and it evolved over the last 30 years but it allows stockholders to claim a minimum of 10 million or 10 times the basis from federal income tax exclusion wait a minute i'll say that again 10 they get, million they get to exclude <laughs> up to 10 million a minimum of up to 10 million or 10x the basis upon the sale of their qualified small business stock. Wow. Big impact. This is going to be a good topic for us then. So let's- uh, Big numbers today. Yeah. Big numbers. So everyone will want to pay attention here. So why don't you just kind of start to uh, tell us about that? Who, who does it apply to? Just tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So Section 1202 is primarily going to impact C corporations and the shareholders of C corporations. Uh, there's a little bit of a nuance with partnerships and and but for primary purposes just just imagine c corporation owners and the there's some eligibility there's some definitely quite a bit of nuance here with the strategy like uh, probably the first thing you need to know is you need to hold these shares for at least five years there's a five-year holding period there's no eligibility and that's from the date of issuance or the date of conversion Whenever they were issued, if you owned a company and you convert, you owned a company, a partnership, a pass-through entity for 20 years, and then you converted it, the 20 years prior to the date of the conversion doesn't matter. And 
to give our audience a little bit of of reference point to the scale of what we're talking about today if, if you are a small business owner and let's just imagine you have zero basis and you sold your company for 10 million dollars and that 10 million dollars all was eligible for qsbs that 10 million dollars would be exempt on a federal level from long-term capital gains plus the net investment income tax so 23.8 percent so it's 2.38 million dollars of tax savings for every 10 million bucks wow Huge impact. And that's just at the federal level. I I know that uh, at the state level, a lot of the states comply with kind of the federal model. And you might also get a, a state tax benefit as well here, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Most of the states, I think there's only five or six that don't. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, New Jersey and California don't comply. Yeah. So that's painful here and for the California uh, owners. Well, that sounds like there'll be opportunity for us to talk a bit later about uh, whether or not your business should be in California. That's right. Think about sales. Yeah, that's so right. We'll come back to that. So good. Well, why don't we just talk maybe a, a second about historical context here? Sort of when, yep. when did this all come about and, and how we got to the current day? Sure. August 1993, Congress, uh, the House Budget Committee passed the first version of it, which was a 50% tax exclusion at a time when the capital gains rate was 28%. And then fast forward in 2023, uh, they had lowered the rates and made, they frankly made the QSBS pretty minimal. It didn't really affect many people. And then, you know, the Great Recession hit 2008 and Congress said, hey, we need to incentivize small businesses. So 2009, they increased the exclusion up to 75%. 2010, they made it 100% exclusion up to that 10 million or 10x the, the basis. And then in 2015, the PATH Act made it permanent, but as we know in Congress, nothing's permanent. Uh, everything is open for renegotiation. And so it has been on the docket to reduce that 100%, but it has failed the last couple of times. So we still have this opportunity ahead of us. Outstanding. Hey, so there were a lot of dates in there. So and I know that that's important for QSBS transactions. So depending on when stock was issued and, and other key factors, that can make a difference here, right? In terms of the percentages that people get on, on their deductibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Great observation. And what Roby's talking about is, and this is a real life example. I had a guy call me up and he's like, hey, I'm selling my business with my C-Corp. And I said, well, hey, what about QSBS? And he said, yeah, I don't think I qualify. I said, why is that? And he goes, well, I started my company in the spring of 1993. Oof. And I said, yeah, you don't qualify because they didn't initiate QSBS until the fall of 1993. But to your point on the dates, it isn't um, the date in which they changed the exemption amount or the amount that would be eligible for the exemption applies for companies where the original issuance date happened in that window of time. Right. So, for example, from uh, September 27th, 2010 to today, if you have original issuance of a C-corporation shares, you would be eligible for the 100% exclusion up to the 10 million or 10X. But if you did it from February 17th, 2009 through September 2010, it's 75%. And then from August 10th, 1993, all the way up until 2009, which is a big window, right? you only get 50%. Yeah. So let's face it. The real impact here is for anybody that started their business probably after uh, starting in 2010 in September. Uh, they're the people that are going to have the most benefit. Yeah. So uh, lots of 
sort of technical details, a lot of nuance to this thing where it's really important that you dive into that and understand exactly what you're looking at as, as you evaluate this transaction. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so let's talk about this opportunity. So we were just kind of mentioning how there is a lot to this. So there's a lot of nuance. This is not the kind of thing where you can sort of just go on Google and, and Google the thing and say, oh, here's how you do QSBS. Lots of things to know here. And you're going to want your team of financial professionals around you to help you figure this thing out. Because if you try to do this on your own, you're going to have a problem. So let's talk through some of that. So why don't we just start with kind of who really does this apply to? So, so QSBS... Well, on the Google thing, yes, you can figure out at least some of the rules. But from a strategic standpoint, real planning standpoint, I would, I would, I would encourage conversation with your financial professionals for sure, Ruby. So we really identified three types of people this is going to work for, and the first is a business owners, C corps shareholders, basically that are looking to exit via a stock sale sometime in the future. And if you've listened to our podcast, you'll know it's a reoccurring theme here. Come talk to us before that letter of intent is signed. Come to don't come to us with three weeks to go and say, hey, I got a I got a tax issue here. So, you know, people that are looking to sell the business, they haven't they've owned the business for a number of years. Uh, they're gonna do a stock sale. The second one are business owners, business owners that are have an idea and or they have a small business that's already incorporated and they think it's going to hockey stick. And by hockey stick, I mean, they think they're going to go from 10 million in revs to $200 million in revs and their business valuation is really going to skyrocket. There is massive opportunity for that subset. And then you have the C-Corp owner who's really just looking to maximize the exemption and their stock sale is going to be greater than 10 million. And they're saying, Hey, well, that's cool. I'm eligible on the first 10 million. Is there anything else I can do to shield the next 10 or $20 million? And so those are the three camps. Yeah. So, so let's, let's maybe dive in a little bit more on those three camps, talk a bit more about that. So in that first camp, you know, the business owners that are going to look to exit via stock sale at a future date, let's talk about, you know, are there, does this apply to any kind of anybody in any industry? Are there some industries that maybe would be excluded from this? Talk to us about that for a bit. In traditional Congress style, they have excluded certain industries. There's a whole host of industries that are eligible, but as opposed to naming all the ones that are, they just said, hey, here are all the ones that aren't. And so financial services companies, um, farming, mining, real estate, we can cover the list later, or you guys, that is actually something you could Google, but you definitely want to talk to your CPA, see if you fall in there. But so there's certain industries unfortunately, that don't apply. So you're going to want to, before you get too excited about this conversation, make sure it doesn't apply to you. I don't want to pop the bubble uh, when it gets too big for you. And then, um, you know, the holding period, let's talk about some of the considerations, Roby, right? So you need to know about your business and you need to know what you do, but do you have the right holding period? Are you five years? Are you considering selling and you don't know about this strategy at year four, and you're hearing this, and you're like, hang on a second, I need to punt the sale of this thing because it's massive tax dollars. Right. That would be something you need to know. Right. What about things that could jeopardize the eligibility? 
and there's eight eligibility criteria. We cover that in a little bit. Right. But there are certain things in the first camp that you could do that would make it ineligible. One might be a real life example for us is the C Corp has a subsidiary that does e-commerce and the subsidiary is kicking butt. And pretty soon the profits of the subsidiary are going to equate to more than 20% of the assets of the C-Corp. And now we have a potential problem. Right. So you better start looking at, hey, you're like, hey, I got this company. It's really rocking because it owns this other company. And the IRS is going to come in and say, yeah, you got kind of the wrong flavor. You got the wrong structure here. And the subsidiary is creating problems for you. And it could create an ineligible situation. Yeah. So um, what about, so if we've been talking about this so far, people, really this applies best to people in a C-Corp situation. So what if somebody's listening right now and saying, hey, now I feel like I missed the boat. I organized as an S-Corp and sounds like this is maybe not going to apply to me. Is there an opportunity for somebody in that situation to think about, wait, wait a minute, there's there's possibly something you could do here relative to a conversion to a C-Corp? Absolutely. Uh it requires some cash though, because on that conversion, you got to pay the tax. A lot of people are adverse to paying the tax. And so that would be it's just in a straight conversion from an S to a C for this benefit, really just a math equation. You got to do the math, you know, where it would apply is in that second camp where someone's got a hockey stick event. Right. Right. And let's spend a little time here because this is, we're talking Big, big seven, money. eight, nine figure numbers here. Right. Big numbers. Right. And so if you're listening, I think, you know, the second version is, hey, we're going to have this, we have this company that we think is going to hockey stick. And you're thinking about maybe it's a, maybe it's the genesis of an idea of today. And you're thinking to yourself, man, this is great. I'm going to set it up as a C Corp and I'm going to take advantage of QSBS. And this is going to be awesome. One might argue that may not be the best approach out of the gate. And here's why, Roby. If you set it up out of the gate and this thing hockey sticks and you go to sell it for $300 million, you're only going to get a $10 million exemption. Right? Right. What if you set it up as a partnership and you grew the business to a point where you had $30 million in assets? And then you did a conversion at 30 million and the basis in your C Corp now is 30 million. What's the math on that look like, Ruby? Well, based on what we talked about earlier, 10 times the $30 million basis, $300 million available for this exemption. That's right. And if you round up from 23.8 to 25, that's $75 million. That's real money. That's real money. Now... Let's take it one step further. And, and I and I guess this just all goes to the idea of really thinking strategically about the plan. Because you're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Well, okay, well, you got to come up with the cash to pay the tax on the conversion. So make sure you, I mean, doesn't, business owners tend to get cash trapped because they're building the business. And so at the point when you're at 30 million and you decide you want to do the conversion, if you don't have the cash, you're not going to convert. And then you may run the risk of getting over the $50 million mark, uh, in which point you could negate the whole thing. And it would have been better to start from as a C-Corp from the beginning. But aside from that, from a, if you're really thinking about it, 
from a generational standpoint, you say to yourself, hey, I really, you know, what's the issue from a generational standpoint, Roby, with a $300 million transaction? I mean, that's a high class problem to have for sure. But, <laughs> and we save you 75 million. Right. So we solve the income tax problem, but we still have an estate tax problem. That's right. Yeah. And which is on 300 million is 40% on 30 million or 300 million. You've, you're talking about potentially a hundred, hundred and twenty million dollars Yep. That's right. So what I would advocate, and I think I know where you, where I'm going with this, Roby, would be to do what? You probably want to think about gifting some shares out to family members. Well ahead, right? Yeah. Especially if you have strong conviction in the hockey sticking of this business. Hey, how do I get other family members involved? And the reason is this exemption applies to the owners. Everybody has their own exemption. And so, uh, unfortunately, a uh, married couple gets their $10 million, but your kids, they could have their each their own $10 million. Your business partners have their $10 million or their 10x, excuse me. And so, you could say, hey, in an infantile state, I'm going to put 10% of this business or 20% of this business into an irrevocable trust or give it to them outright, uh, probably a trust, just probably because of the board of directors and they don't want family members that are minors or young people having voting shares, that type of thing. But yeah. So now you get 20, 20, let's just use 25%. You get $75 million out there. They get the same exemption, but now that $75 million isn't subject to the estate tax. Right. So now we're at, uh, that's about 30 million. So you're at a hundred million. Do I have your attention? <laughs> <laughs> you certainly have mine. Yes. So, and I hope the audience uh, has, we've captured their attention as well here. So anything you want to add to that? I wanted to shift our attention, if not just from a, from a state tax perspective. So we've talked a lot about it at the federal level here. Yep. So there are states that, you know, we talked about that, um, that this QSBS, the state does not follow the form of the federal rule. California is an example. Yep. We happen to have a number of clients in California. So given that, is there are there other opportunities that those clients might be thinking in advance about, hmm, maybe I'd want to take my business outside of the state, either in substance or maybe just in form with something like, a, say, an ING trust or something? Can Any comments around that? If the number's big enough... And I know a lot of people are fed up in California in the first place. Uh, I, there are definitely opportunities to mitigate that that state income tax piece, right? Yeah. Now you're talking New Jersey, California, Hawaii, I think has partial. Massachusetts has partial. Mississippi, Alabama, you know, there's only a handful of states. But California and New Jersey being high income tax states, particularly California, and that's where we're located. So this is who we're going to run into the most, <clears throat> you know, real life example. I got a client who's moving out of California specifically for this reason. Right. She right. Grew up in the, in the Southeast, wants to move to Florida, create a transaction. Now don't do it three months before your sale because the franchise tax board is aggressive. And if they decide to come after you, they'll probably win because they are good at the ground and pound. But if you plan it correctly, and you move to Florida and you get out of the state and you redomicize your business. Nothing says you're going to, I mean, you can get out of that for sure. Right. And the other piece would be the Ing trust, right? Maybe you don't want to move out of California yet and you want to put together a trust 
and that trust would be eligible because it's original issuance shares owned by a trust and you could transact that sale domiciled in Nevada. Uh, then the money's held in Nevada and you got to figure out how to get it out of there, but we can help you with that. Right. <clears throat> but it could be a different way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and all of these comments really continue to just point us towards this idea of like, look, there are a lot of details to sort through here. And it's really important to be well in advance on this thinking. You do not want to show up three months before a potential deal and start to think about these questions. We These are discussions we should be having a year, two years, three years Absolutely. ahead to the extent that uh, you can put yourself through that strategic thought process. There are real dollars to be saved here. You know, we've been talking in terms of eight and maybe even nine figure sums here, depending on on decisions that you're willing to make. So it's really important. And before you start the business. Yeah. Even before you start the business. Well said. And I, I that's the one that most people, business owners get excited. And they just want to get it off the ground. They want to set it up and including language that has QSBS inside of the articles of incorporation is a beneficial thing. Yeah. Right. There's certain things, some belt and suspenders you can put on this to make it more bulletproof when it comes time to sell because big dollars equals big IRS eyeballs, right. which equals, you know, hey, you better you better know your stuff and you better get it penciled out correctly. Right. You know, we didn't um there's another idea here with regards to you know, that third camp Roby, and that is, hey, you know, you have this business. It's 20 to $30 million. You have your $10 million exemption and you want a little bit more, right? And this one's kind of known, but there's some nuance to it for sure. It's called 1202 stacking. Hmm. And the idea is that because trusts are eligible, you can gift and only gift, not sell. You must gift the original issuance of shares to a non-grantor trust for the benefit of a family member, and then that trust would qualify for its own exemption, ah. right? So one could make the argument, okay, hey, the exemption, the gift exemption's 12 million bucks. The gift exemption's going to sunset down to 6 million. If you're considering gifting and using up that exemption in the first place, this might be a good asset to use. Gift out 10 or $12 million, you've used your exemption gift exemption. We can talk about that personally on another day, but now you put it on that trust and now that trust has its, exem its, its exemption or better yet, going back to your reoccurring theme of come talk to us early, perhaps you're a few years away from the transaction. The realization of the growth of the business is still, it's still growing. And so you gave away your $10 million today, but ultimately it's going to be worth 20 million. And so, you know, you could do it at the last minute, but certainly is way more effective if you do it sooner. Right. And so we just did that transaction earlier this year. We, uh, it was a, it was a $30 million sale. The two partners had 20 million of exemption and we went out and set up two trusts and they gave away 5 million each and we got 30 million of exemption. So it's 3 million bucks. Wow. Fantastic. So again, just lots and lots of ways to slice this, kind of make your way through the nuances and do some creative things here to expand the exemption beyond maybe even what people would think about it on first glance, I guess, as, as they look at the opportunity. Absolutely. That yeah. is, that's the getting ahead of it 
thinking through it, whether it's a conversion of a partnership when that conversion is, whether it's gifting shares to family members early on, including the original issuance, whether it is, you know, we didn't talk about this, but from an employer perspective, ISOs and and making sure that from an executive comp standpoint, you're giving QSBS stock out, that could be huge for you, but just tons of nuance and tons of things to consider more than you're going to get off of Google, right? For sure. Hey, the eight eligibility requirements, you're going to get off Google, no big deal. The holding period, you're going to get off Google, whatever. Right. It's how do you how do you frame it in a real life practical application to your life and to your family's needs to do exactly what you want to do when you want to do it and keep the IRS at bay is really the short version of that whole story. Right. As, as we like to say, the ultimately there's a lot of interpretation through the regs. Like the regs are interesting, but the real magic happens in the interpretation of the regs and then creating a really compelling fact pattern that says yep. we did exactly what the regs and the interpretations of the regs called for in this situation to meet the client's expectations and needs in, in their specific circumstances. So that's that's the critical piece. That's where the magic is. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. So let's uh, let's start to wrap this up. So Absolutely. just kind of, again, at a high level, um, what anything you would add to this discussion in any way that you'd kind of just put a bow around this thing? I think I said it, but, you know, get ahead of it. Um, ask your professionals, make sure you have the eligibility requirements, but think through, get ahead of it. Talk to your professionals, call us up. If you want to talk to us, we're happy to help. And, you know, this is really high impact planning, massive. I mean, as good as it gets. And I guess the last piece I would add is that it's already under the gun in Congress. It failed on the Inflation Protection Act. And it's 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 a point of contention, I believe, for the Democrats to, you know, basically eliminate a tax break for the wealthy. Let's face it. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be around forever. And so you need to, you know, oftentimes with tax law, it's, you know, your grandfathered into certain things. So let's get the planning done so that your grandfathered in. Uh, provided they leave that in there, but I'm sure they do because they, right. they have a tendency to do things that 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 doesn't harm what they've already done. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, and I think that it really it that ends up I think emphasizing a couple of points that we always talk about with clients. One is the right time to do planning. The best time to do planning is really yesterday. Yeah. The second best time to do planning is really starting today. Don't let any more grass grow under your feet. You want to really get after this and get ahead of these issues. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So that so that's critically important to uh to do that. And so let me maybe just start to wrap us up here. So I hope as you listen to this today, you thought, wow, this really resonated. I'm a business owner. I I really need to think about these issues. You might have listened to this podcast and said, This doesn't apply to me. I'm in a different situation, but you might fit really the profile of the clients that we talk to on a day-to-day basis. What we talked about today is one of probably at least 50 strategies that we walk clients through. And just as a reminder, really, our clients are people that are business executives, business owners, uh, income, annual incomes above a million dollars, net incomes above $10 million, business value above $10 million. And if you're in that space, 
we can make a dramatic impact on your income tax situation, on your estate tax situation, pulling together the CPAs, the estate planning attorneys, really crafting customized strategies to help you get to the place that you're trying to take yourself, your family, and build the legacy that you want to build. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about whatever your needs are if you find yourself in that situation. So uh, hopefully you found today's podcast really interesting, though. So I'm going to start to wrap it up here, Eric. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least throw out, hey, if you do want to contact us, www.centurawealth.com phone number 858-771-9500. We would love to hear from you and uh, just appreciate the time today, Kyle. Appreciate it, Roby. Eric, what do you got? Man, do you this has been fantastic. Here's the thing. Every time I get together with you guys, number one, I learn a very small fraction of what you guys are talking about because <laughs> you guys have so much in this podcast. It's crazy. But the the biggest thing that comes across on every podcast is that you have a very large team and you team up with other professionals outside even your own offices to make sure this kind of stuff gets done. So I, I appreciate it. Uh, Roby, fantastic job hosting today. And obviously, thank you so much for the contact information, Kyle. Thank you for being such a wealth of information and being a great guest on the other side of the mic today. And That's our fun. last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Shinsuro Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the team comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 